This episode of How I Built It is brought to you by two great sponsors. The first is our season-long sponsor. Liquid Web has been best known as a managed hosting company with tons of options. It's also designed a managed WordPress offering that is perfect for mission-critical sites. If you're looking for improved performance, maximized uptimes, and incredible support, Liquid Web is the partner you've been looking for. Every Liquid Web managed WordPress customer has iTheme Sync integrated into their managed portal, allowing them to update several sites with a single touch. Liquid Web hosts all of my critical websites and I couldn't be happier with them. If you sign up today, using the discount code HOWIBUILTIT33, you get 33% off for the next six months. Visit buildpodcast.net slash liquid to get started. That's buildpodcast.net slash liquid. It's also brought to you by Lifter LMS. Lifter LMS helps online course creators convert their expertise and life experiences into income by creating impactful online courses. Lifter is a WordPress-based learning management system plugin that makes it easy to create, sell, and protect engaging online courses for your website. With Lifter LMS, you can have your own courses, online school, and membership website. You can even upsell coaching programs and offer Facebook-like communities on your website with Lifter LMS. Join thousands of smart education entrepreneurs building the most engaging learning platforms on the internet with Lifter LMS. How I Built It listeners can use the promo code BUILTIT to get 15% off the first year of any Lifter LMS add-on or bundle. Visit buildpodcast.net slash lifter to sign up today. That's buildpodcast.net slash lifter. Hey, everybody. We are at the end of season three, and I couldn't be more excited for you to hear this episode. Uh, I get to talk to Morton Rand Hendrickson. Uh, he's a uh, Twitter and WordPress friend. I guess we met at the Community Summit a couple of years ago. And we kind of break from the traditional format of this show. We start off with the format, but uh, we start to wax poetic about a lot of things. Teaching, empathy, developing courses, the WordPress community and decision making that goes on around it, and a whole lot more. Uh, as this is the last episode of the season, but also the episode that drops right before WordCamp US, I can't imagine a better episode to end the season with. Uh, we also go for like an hour long, so uh, you might want to queue this one up for a long trip or something like that uh, that you have coming up, like to say maybe WordCamp US. Uh, so I really, really hope you enjoy this one. I realized how long that it was taking and I couldn't bear to stop the conversation or break it up and put part of it behind a paywall or anything like that. Uh, so just have at enjoy i loved this conversation and i loved season three so thanks so much for listening and without further ado on with the show hey everybody welcome to another episode of how i built it the podcast that asks how did you build that today my guest is morton rand hendrickson of linkedin learning and linda morton how are you doing today i am good how are you i'm fantastic uh thanks so much for being on the show I'm very excited to talk to you because you are a, a big name in the WordPress and online learning space, uh, which are two things that I am now squarely in the middle of as well. So uh, I know that you produce really great courses, and I'm, I'm excited to kind of pick your brain about that stuff. Well, I'm excited to be here. So, All right. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about kind of the evolution of uh, like WordPress courses on Linda, right? I think I have that right if I had it down in writing from when we discussed you being on the show. Yeah, something like that. Something like that, right? <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do? Sure. I am Morton. I am uh, an expat Norwegian living in Canada, currently smoke-filled Vancouver, where I work mainly as a senior staff instructor with LinkedInLearningOnLinda.com. I've been working with them since 2010, on and off. And I became a full-time staff author or staff. We used to be called staff authors. Now we're staff instructors. I think it was 2013, something like that. So it's been a, quite a stint at this point. It's my longest 
duration of single employer in North America. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, yeah. So you mentioned LinkedIn Learning and Linda. Uh, now, if I if I do this path correctly, right, it's LinkedIn bought Linda, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so they're maintained as kind of two separate entities that kind of do the same stuff. Yeah. So I, I guess it's confusing because it's it, it is it is somewhat confusing. The uh, the LinkedIn Learning brand is a is a platform that sits under LinkedIn. So if you go to LinkedIn.com and log into your own account, there's a button in the top left hand corner, right hand corner that says Learning. And if you click on Learning, you get to LinkedIn Learning. And if you choose to use that and then uh, hook your account to it, it'll tell you things like, "Hey, you're you know very interested in WordPress. So here are some rel uh, related courses, or you keep talking about this one thing, or you're in a group that does things. Other people in that group also watch these types of courses. So it's very integrated with what you're doing and what you're talking about on LinkedIn. Then separately, we have Lynda.com, which is the exact same content, just under a different umbrella because lynda.com has presence at universities and schools and libraries and all sorts of places around the world. And it's a brand that people associate with learning. So yeah, it's the same exact content just presented under two different platforms to provide two different contexts for what you want to do. So if you have a Lynda account right now, you can go to LinkedIn Learning and link the two accounts together. And if you have a LinkedIn learning account, I believe you can do the same backwards and go to Linda because it is the same thing. It's just two different labels. Gotcha. So that, that actually makes a lot of sense. And I just learned today on the day that we're recording this mm -hmm. that certain libraries like give you a Linda account for free, mm -hmm. essentially, like with the library membership, which blew my mind because I never go to libraries. I do most of my <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it uh, we have this program called, I believe it's called Linda Library. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to make a wild guess to say that's what it's called, which because we have it at our local library here in uh, Burnaby as well, where you can, if you have a library card, which typically is something you can get for free by walking in the door, then you can check out a subscription. So basically, I, I don't know exactly how it works, but there's some sort of you know, every single library member can't watch every single course at the same time. But it, mm -hmm. effectively, if you need to watch something on Linda, you can go and either watch it at the library or you can check it out somehow through the library system. I know it works differently depending on your particular library system because they're all different, but it is an offering that we come out with. Then in addition, we have Linda Campus, which is something that a lot of universities and higher education institutions use, which is similar it's like all the students and all the staff get uh, access to linda and then the instructors or teachers can then create custom playlists and stuff for their students and track what they're doing and everything i work uh, part-time at the emily carr university of art and design and we have linda campus so i can say things like Next time we're going to talk about, you know, we're going to do something crazy with Illustrator. So if you haven't done Illustrator before, go watch, you know, Deke McClellan's course here, watch these four movies. And then I'll know in advance that these students know what I'm talking about. So I don't have to spend the whole class talking about how to make spline curves. I can just say, watch that, then come here. And it's easier than telling them to go buy a book or something. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's excellent, right? Because I've been in a situation where I'm standing in front of a classroom uh, and I assume the students have taken some prerequisite or have some prerequisite knowledge and they don't. And then I've been stuck teaching like HTML and CSS, mm -hmm. even though it's like an advanced programming or web programming course. Like they somehow got written out of the basic class. And so I have to like take time out of my lecture. But I mean, if the University of Scranton had Linda Campus, I could just be like, oh, take this course, like take these videos. And now I know we can start fresh on Wednesday or whatever. Yeah. So. It's, uh, it's part of this new teaching philosophy uh, called uh, Flipping the Classroom. Yes. Which we happen to have a course on. <laughs> if, you're a, if you're a teacher and you're interested in this concept of flipping the classroom, there's an actual series of courses on lynda.com or LinkedIn Learning where you can learn about how to do that. Where basically the, the original concept, I believe, was that a teacher would record a lesson in advance in video format and then give the lesson to the students to watch ahead of the class. And then rather than teaching the content in the class, the students would come in already having seen the content and then the class would be used to either discuss it 
or you know implement it or test it in real life or do whatever and it just i think it's a more effective way of doing things than traditional homework because traditional homework is you learn something in class and you have to go home and do it which if you didn't understand it in class means you'll sit for an entire night not figuring things out so instead you flip it and you say okay do the homework will be learning it and then the classroom time will be working with it so you can actually get the help from the teacher to do it right and i i totally love that idea it's something i learned about a couple of years ago and it's it seems a lot more valuable right because students can listen to the lecture write down their questions and then you know it's i've been in math classes where i totally thought i understood what was going on in the classroom and then i do the homework and I'm like, I didn't understand anything, apparently. <laughs> yeah. right? I've been there many times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, this so, made so much sense uh, two hours ago. And now, uh, <laughs> what was the comma for again? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, doing the assignment along with the, the with the teacher was always, I felt that was always effective. Like when I was learning, you know, I think we always had like the Dutch national flag pro- problem or uh, creating a palindrome using Java. And we would do that in class. Mm. That stuck a lot better than like, here, fill in this blank program at home, just because you you talk through it, you know, you like a real world situation. Yeah. Awesome. So you you do all sorts of courses, uh, right, for Linda yes. and LinkedIn. Uh, you're not just relegated to like WordPress based courses, right? Yeah, I, I originally was contracted to do a single course, the WordPress Essential Training. This was back in... I think like the f- October 20, I think it came out in October 2011. And that course has since then been the one of the top performing courses in the system every single week. So it's always been like one, two or three. I believe currently I'm being beat out by uh, Excel essential training. Ah. <laughs> Excel is like the <laughs> standard software for everything. Everyone yes. was like, I need a list with multiple columns, Excel. And it's just, it doesn't matter what you're using that for, recipes, planning your dog's food, or doing some actual spreadsheet work. But yeah, it's, a, it's hard to compete against Excel. But WordPress Essential Training has been at the very top for a long time. And we, you know, based on that, I started doing more WordPress courses. And then I started realizing that a lot of the stuff that I wanted to teach more advanced stuff to WordPress people, but then we were missing the, the theory behind Many of the things I was teaching. So then I came back and said, hey, we you know, need a course on content strategy. And we need a course on how to think logically about your content and structure things. And the actual web design process, how that works. And, oh, there's this cool new stuff in CSS or HTML or whatever. So now I'm doing, I think, about 50% WordPress and 50% web standards and other related things. And I'll probably shift more towards other things soon because we've built out a massive... WordPress stack. And then we've onboarded, you know, Carrie Dills to help out with WordPress and she's making fantastic content too. So you should go watch all of her courses. And that means I can focus more on like these extremely technical things instead and leave some of the WordPress stuff to people who uh, can benefit from teaching WordPress specifically. Nice. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, uh, I just second like watching anything Carrie Dills does. Uh, and I'll link her episode in the show notes because we kind of talk about a whole bunch of stuff and she's fantastic. So how many courses, like how often do you like churn out a course? Mm, let's see. I think this year I'm rolling up 12 courses. Wow. Last year it was more like 16. So <laughs> the number is actually going down. It's just because I'm focusing more on these very complex courses that have not they're not necessarily long but they're very complex and they need a lot of information and it takes a lot of time to figure out how to compress that information into something understandable but on average i think i turn out a course per month or a course every other month depending on the length or the complexity of the course so interestingly it's like creating wordpress essential training takes much less time for me than creating a course about css grid for instance because WordPress Essential Training is, of course, I've now redone six or seven times from start to finish. So it's always playing in the back of my head. And WordPress is, it's gotten to the point now where WordPress admin literally is something I can walk people through without looking at it. Because I I've, I've right. do so much work inside it and I spend so much time picking everything apart at the seams to figure out what's going on. 
But when it comes to something else, I need to really invest time to figure out, you know, how does this work? How would people naturally learn this? What do they need it for? And then create a path for them to walk through all this very theoretical stuff into something practical they can go ahead and use right away. So that's fantastic. Well, first of all, WordPress essential training is like uh, like user-based, right? Like uh, no programming. Mm-hmm. I just want to use WordPress, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. It, so, it starts off with the assumption that the person who's coming in has been told or has decided to use WordPress. Gotcha. And then That's awesome. knows nothing about it. doesn't mean you have to be a complete novice to watch it. It just means right. if you are, if you've never used this before and you come in, it will take you over a six-hour period from I have no idea what this is to look at my new website. Nice. So I would love to, as I'm sure the people listening would, to to learn your process, right? Because uh, as 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 an educator, I, I have my own process for creating courses and breaking things down. And uh, a lot of educators I know, you know have their own process, but let's, let's start with like the, the research, right? So you talk about uh, taking, let's say the CSS grid layout, mm-hmm. right? Presumably before you did the course, you knew a little bit about it, but not, not enough to make a whole course. Does that sound accurate? If you switch to a different course, then yes. <laughs> right, so cool. let, let's take JavaScript essential training because that's the, that's a better representative of something that's kind of crazy and requires a lot of process to do. So yeah, we we redid JavaScript essential training uh, this year. It was one of the highest rated courses, but it was quite old. I think it was from 2013, so it was just outdated. And it was also originally targeted towards a more developer type crowd. So it was a very developer-heavy course that was using language that spoke well to developers, but not to front-end developers who are design-oriented. And JavaScript has become something that more and more people who generally don't fit under the typical umbrella called developer would need to know. So we decided to redo it. Now, I use JavaScript all the time, right? Just like... Anyone else who works on the front end, you're like, type out JavaScript all the time. But there's a difference between knowing how to use JavaScript and knowing how to explain JavaScript to people in such a way that they will know how to use it, right? Right. So the research process that I went through started with, I got a bunch of books. I think I got six different books from that were all the way from, you know, JavaScript 101 all the way to one of those insane, like every single thing you can ever possibly do with JavaScript things, which are frankly impossible to read and (laughs) (laughs) clearly targeted at an audience that's way more advanced than what I was looking for. But I needed to see how this stuff was laid out, right? How people Mm -hmm. choose to approach this. And also in some cases, it's not enough to say, you know, do this and then things work. You have to know why things work the way they do. So either you can explain little weirdness to people or if people come in later and say, hey, I saw you do this. I don't understand why. They actually have an answer. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah. And like with JavaScript, there's like a, a lot of weirdness. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I read all six books and I can give you a list. I can give you the list of the books I have because uh, I think it's good material if you really want to dive into uh, JavaScript too. Yeah, absolutely. I can include them in the show notes too. Yeah. And I, I read a ton of things online just you know, watched conference talks from people who know what they're doing and uh, tried to dive into not just, uh, you know, JavaScript itself as a language, but also look at how different people are using JavaScript, for example. So I spent a lot of time on YouTube and Vimeo just watching different types of tutorials and examples and conference talks where people were talking about something else but using JavaScript to achieve things. And then I made myself kind of a plan. It's like, okay, so if I came in and I had no idea how this stuff works, what is the logical progression that I would need to go through to make this make sense for me? And does that logical progression match with how people are teaching it now? And in many cases, I found from my perspective, it doesn't. And I think that's because a lot of the people who write content about JavaScript are developers. So they think in developer-centric methodology, which is very much based on, like someone came back to me and said, you didn't spend any time talking about memory allocation on the CPU in the course. And I was like, that is accurate. That is a a true statement about this course. It's also so far outside of the scope of this course that there's a reason why that discussion never happened. You know, that's 
that's not JavaScript essential training. That's some sort of JavaScript at CPU level, super advanced. One yeah. person probably needs to know this essential training. Yeah, totally. That's, you didn't talk about assembly language in this course at all. No, there was no... <laughs> There was no MIPS, nothing like that. But it was, it, it, it's a, it's actually, that's also part of the research process. It's this culling to say, here are the 800 million things that should go in the course. Now we have this much time, very small amount of time, and we need to pick the things that actually matter. And then also tell a story that people find engaging enough to follow through the whole thing, right? So not just make a bunch of disparate examples that have no connection with each other, but actually build a cumulative experience where you learn this one thing, then you build an example with it, then you learn something else, then you take the original example or take something from the original example and build something bigger. So you can see how these different pieces stick together and how it all becomes part of a whole, right? So it, it, it's a... That, just to, yeah, just to drive home that point, right? That's really important because... Otherwise, you're just kind of putting together a cookbook, right? Like a recipe style mm -hmm. thing uh, that isn't necessarily based on uh, learning. It's just about like, well, I want to do this one thing. But I like I like what you said. Tell a story, uh, which is to use like the higher ed term, like it's like a pedagogical approach. Like, <laughs> yes, it I is pedagogy, word, but it's always on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> that is that's precisely what it is, and and you know, yeah. it, it, I'm almost I'm very hesitant to use that word myself because I'm not a teacher. You know, I I know people <laughs> who go to university for years and become experts at this. Right. I did not go to university for years and become an expert at this. I went to university for years and became a philosopher, which is not the same thing. So, it's a uh, but yeah, it, it is a it's a pedagogical strategy to to try to give people not just the knowledge but hooks to hang the knowledge on. So I always like to imagine when you're trying to convey any type of new information to someone, you can either give them the information, and it's kind of like giving someone a pile of bags. And if you right. give them a pile of bags, they'll stash them somewhere. But then if you ask them to find something within those bags there's a pile of bags somewhere. But if you provide them first with hooks, right? So you say, here's a problem. And then you describe the problem enough that they go, I understand this is a problem. I don't know how to solve it, but I see the problem. Then you say, here's a bag containing the solution to this problem. Now go hang it on that hook. So they're, they're now connected. So the next time you run into this problem, you know, oh, I know what the solution to this is because there's a bag hanging on it with the solution inside. Uh, so that's how I try to approach everything. And especially with that course, I needed to always establish this, not just, you know, what is an object in JavaScript, but why is there an object right. in JavaScript? And under what circumstances is this something you want to use, right? And why can't you use something else? And then you sit there and try to figure out, like, how do I make a non-contrived example, <laughs> Because <laughs> it's very easy to make right. these super dumb examples. They're like, haha, yeah, like let's make an array of horses. Big horse, <laughs> small horse, Icelandic horse, Arabic horse. Like, and then it's like, and now you can retrieve any one of these horses from the array and right. make a display that shows the name of the horse. Like, there, there's nothing, per, there's nothing yeah. practical here, right? Right. So, That's a purely academic example with like no real world. Yeah. So, it, trying to figure out how to make things that contain that information, which is very important, but at the same time present it in such a way that people actually understand what it's for beyond a list of horses is yeah. is the tricky part. Nice. That's that's fantastic. I love that. And I'm sorry uh, to interrupt you. I just wanted to really like drive that point home, like you're telling a story. So once you have your story, what's kind of your next step? You have kind of like... You know what you want to teach. You have the way you want to teach it. Yeah, that's that's something that's evolved over time. So the difference between so <laughs> I'll tell you a ridiculous story <laughs> that's hard to believe. Right. Uh, when I originally was contracted to record to make a uh, WordPress essential training back in 2011, I did not take that assignment very seriously because I was stuck in like I had another job. It was just chaos. My life was just total chaos. And I was shipped down to California to go to a recording studio and actually do this stuff. And I went into the studio. I was booked for a week. So we were going to record Monday through Friday in the week, and then I'll fly home on Saturday. 
And I went into the studio the first day and I started recording the course. And I had you know, planned it out. I'd made these little one-pagers for each individual movie. So I had a little intro spiel and then some bullet points and then an extra thing. And we recorded maybe 10 movies. And I went back to the hotel and I was like, oh, I made a huge mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so I rewrote the entire course through the night. And then I came back wow. the next day and then I recorded 37 movies <laughs> in one day. And the producer was literally like, I can't watch this. I'm leaving. <laughs> like he just <laughs> left the room. He's like, I can't handle this. You just don't ever stop talking. So what I realized was the way I'd structured the course was great for a book, but not for a video course. And it made no sense. And that was my first real understanding of how presenting something in a video format requires a complete rethink of structurally how things are done, what you're doing internally in the video, what kind of examples you create and everything. So what happens now is when I have a new course, I need to figure out what are the things that I want to teach, right? So we start with just a table of contents, exactly like a book. You make a huge table of contents and you say, okay, this is a chapter. And then in a chapter, there's a bunch of stuff inside. So, and that's what you see. If you go to Linda or LinkedIn Learning and you go to a course, you'll see chapters and then individual movies. And that's where we start. So you start with this table of contents. Then you start writing out what goes inside each movie and try to figure out the structure of that. And then how, you know, where do you make slides and where do you make examples? And how do you present those examples to people? How do they follow them? And you have to go through this relatively complex trial and error procedure of just figuring out just how does this stuff fit together. So in many cases, it's a matter of building a website, then reverse engineering it back to the beginning, and then figure out what are all the steps, and then building it out again, and then go back and then record the whole building <laughs> out again, right? So sometimes I'll write scripts for the whole thing. Sometimes I'll write scripts for some movies and just... Uh, ad-lib others. Sometimes the whole course is just me standing in this room and just blabbing to myself and then editing it down afterwards. It, it just depends on the content, right? Gotcha. Yeah. So had you written a, a book previously about like WordPress essential training? Is that why you kind of got hired to do this? or I had written a series of books on uh, Microsoft Expression Web, which is the what came after what we call front page. So Microsoft yeah. scrapped front page. They yeah. made Expression Web, which was the first truly web standards-based IDE ever released. And then I wrote a bunch of books about that that were pretty well-received. And then Linda came to me and asked if I wanted to do a course on Expression Web. And I said, um, no, <laughs> I don't want to do a course on Expression Web uh, for various reasons. So, and then they said, well, Namely, it was 2011. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, I, I could see the writing on the wall. There, mm -hmm. there were, I, I had a strong suspicion that uh, Expression Web might not survive, in which case gotcha. investing a lot of time making a course would be pointless. So right. we decided, okay, we'll do something totally different. And then they, they asked me, can you provide, you know, basic table of contents for a bunch of different courses? And just tell me, you know, what do you want to teach? And then I sent in a bunch of different things, one of which was WordPress. And at the time, they had a WordPress course that was out of date and wasn't doing all too well. And then they said, "Ah, eh, whatever. You know, no one's watching these WordPress courses anyway. We'll just have you do that. <laughs> and then in a month, nice. I became the most watched course in the library. So it was very, you know, a lot of serendipitous things that just happened to happen at the same time that led to that, right? Gotcha. That's that's fantastic. So you put together these videos. It's a combination of uh, screen actions, slides. Do you do talking heads in your videos? Mm -hmm. Like, Do people like see your face? Yeah, in some of them. So if you watch WordPress Essential Training or JavaScript Essential Training, you'll see a lot of me. Okay. It, it usually depends on what level the material is at. If there's a lot of theoretical stuff that's more like just thinking out loud things then you usually see a human being because otherwise you'd have to put something on the screen right but if right. it's highly technical like if you go and watch one of my rest api courses there's no talking head it's just <laughs> code 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 until the end of time yeah. right but uh, yeah with uh, the essential training courses we tend to have a human being talking to you also so you get a 
an understanding of who it is you're listening to, right? And you get, it, it's not just a, an unknown voice behind the screen. Right. It's an actual human being. And you can see all my waving around because like I'm, I'm very, I don't stand still. So <laughs> <laughs> I've had to learn to not use my arms a lot in video because, you know, if, I, if I'm on stage or whatever, I wave all over the place. But in video, right. doing that is super distracting. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I have to learn yeah, to like be very <laughs> controlled. Or just I feel like I'd have like a lot of trouble. I'm an Italian. I talk with my hands all the time. Yeah. Uh, so I I feel like I would certainly have trouble with that. Cool. So do you do you do editing for your videos as well? No. No. Okay. So Linda will take care of the editing yeah. stuff. It's uh, one of the one of the privileges we have at Linda is uh, we have an amazing post-production team. So I produce the content with the producer mm -hmm. and then it gets sent off and then a bunch of very smart people go through the videos and edit them down and add graphics and everything and it goes through this huge QA process. It's a it's a very complex machine that uh, has been built out over time that ensures you know quality and everything. So part of the process, yeah. for instance, is we have this uh, beta testing system where so, there's a company that beta tests everything. And then we get these huge reports that say, you know, well, he mispronounces this word consistently for like 800 times through the entire course. <laughs> oh, no. Well, and then in the beginning, they were like, yeah, that's a problem. And now they go, yeah, whatever. <laughs> he mispronounces <laughs> everything all the time anyway. No one seems to care. So I, I know, I forget which it is, but I know there's a course in the library where I mispronounce a word consistently through the entire course. And it's not like some little word. It's actually a word I should know how to say properly. And then a bunch of people have sent in comments. Because if you watch a course, you can send comments about individual movies. And they've sent in comments that are just like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> it's hilarious how he keeps saying it. And it seems like he thinks this is the right way to pronounce it. <laughs> so it's, um, and the beta people did catch that. But then the producer said, you know what? He's Norwegian. He says weird stuff all the time anyway. No one's going to care about that. And it doesn't uh, the, the, has no bearing on the education. It's just entertaining. Yeah. Right? But there's a, uh, there's a huge process behind it. And we have an amazing team that does an enormous amount of work. So what you think, my job often feels like a very small part of a very large puzzle. Right? And uh, I'm just yeah. sitting here mucking around on my computer and then magical things happen and it ends up coming out the other end sounding very coherent and extremely smart <laughs> <laughs> that's that's amazing because i feel like you know i do kind of everything myself uh at wp in one month i do the everything that you're talking about right the pre-production the planning and then I, the recording and then by the time I get to post, I'm just like, I get the point across. <laughs> I've been but there. Like, that's, I've done that too. Yeah. It's uh, a different kind of job. But I mean, there are benefits and drawbacks to both methods, right? A company right. of our scale, you must have a system like this in place because we turn out so much content and it has to be consistent. But if you're creating a bespoke solution, like what you're doing, it makes more sense to do it in-house because then you know exactly what's happening, right? And you can make all those little decisions about how exactly that's going to work and, you know, is this right? Should I go back and fix that? And you can tweak everything in a much more specific way. Yeah, absolutely. So when you're not, because I mean, like, you know, I'll, I'll kind of just know where I need to stop. I'll clap my hands like you did at the beginning of this recording or something. I'll do something so that I know this is where I need to edit, like looking at the timeline. When when you are sending stuff that you've recorded off to post-production, what's that like? Like say you mess up, what exactly do you do to kind of let the uh, editors know that you need to reset? If it's bad enough, I'll just re-record it. <laughs> like sometimes I'll do stuff and I'll be like, ah, "Oh my, this did not end well. Let's just start over." <laughs> so, in many cases, like if you watch, um, if you watch some of my courses, what you're seeing a movie might be like fifteenth take of that movie, because uh, it usually yeah. is, especially when you get into super complex things where you have to type out a ton of code. And everything has to be exactly right. And then, you know, I misspell stuff all the time and then it, everything crashes. And I'll be like, do all this stuff. Da, 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 and then run in the browser, error. <laughs> Say, yeah. oh, never mind. Let's do that one more time. And it makes it, on the other end, it makes it look like I'm this perfect coder, <laughs> which is right. just a total lie. It's just I re-record <laughs> everything again. Uh, but, in you know, I, I often, my, my um, English is not as good as it sounds. <laughs> So 
uh, I, I, my English often is not great. So I'll say stuff and then I'll realize that's not how you say it or I mispronounce a word or get stuck in my head. Like I'll try to say something and then the sentence just breaks apart. And usually what we do is just stop and then say rephrase and then okay. do it again. And what happens is the editors, the way you say rephrase just becomes like a standard automated thing. And the editors can actually yeah. see on the waveform you where you say it. And then just be like, okay, so whatever was before that, just cut it out. And if it's something significant, like if there's a minute of just garbage <laughs> or something like, and now we're just going to fill in this form. And then two minutes of me filling in a form, then I'll write a note and say, you know, from here to here, shorten it down, right? Do a regular paper cut like you would in TV editing. So yeah. provide some notes. And, and I also provide notes about things like, you know, there needs to be a link to a service here or, you know, here you need to mask out the username or password or key or whatever's going on or provide information and say things like, you know, do not use this key. It will not work. Use your own key. Yeah. So it, yeah. it, it all depends, right? Gotcha. So so you mentioned specifically, I'm glad you brought this up. Uh, when you like mess something up or there's a bug, that gets edited out completely. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> ideally I don't send it in. Gotcha. I mean, if it's bad enough. I'm, I'm always... I've only had a couple of instances where I've shift courses with actual bugs in them. And they, they people let you know pretty quickly and then you fix it, right? That's one of the advantages of doing this in video, not book format. That if there's an actual error that somehow gets past everything, right, which is usually something really trivial or something super obscure, then it'll get caught and then we can churn out an update to it within like a couple of days, right? Right. So like I think the worst error I ever made was consistently mistyping the name of a variable like throughout the entire course. And it was like you look at the course and go, that is so misspelled. Like it doesn't do anything because it's a variable, right? So as long as you right. consistently misspell the variable, it's fine. Right. It's just misspelled. Yeah. And people got so hung up on the misspelling. And the funny part was the producer sent it back to me and said, everyone's complaining about this thing being spelled incorrectly. And I'm like, I don't see it. <laughs> What's wrong with this? Because <laughs> I have dyslexia. So I honestly don't see it. And then I had to take it to my wife and she goes, that that's not how that's spelled. <laughs> I don't know what that's saying, but it's not what you think it is. So, and then I go back and I re-record everything to make it. Gotcha. So, like, do you ever address um, like error, like error catching in the videos? So, like, you mess something up, you see the bug on screen, and you're like, "Oh, this happened. Let's go back and see why it happened." Or how how would otherwise do you address debugging? Yeah, if what I try to do is figure out what are things that everyone mistakes everyone makes, right? What are common errors? And then sometimes I'll make a movie that says, here are a bunch of things you can do that are wrong. Like in WordPress Essential Training, there's a whole chapter or at least a couple of movies that just discuss disastrous things, right? Like white screen of death. What is this? Mm -hmm. What are the causes? How do you fix this? Or like, you know, what happens if you install a buggy plugin? And I actually have like in the course, I make this awful theme (laughs) and just destroys everything. (laughs) And I make a plugin that just crashes the site. And then show, you know, this is what happens when you install something buggy. WordPress will try to save you, but if you bypass WordPress, then it'll eventually destroy everything. And then here's how you recover from it. And in other cases, it's if there are common errors that are often made, I'll try to bake them into the course. So I'll deliberately make an error as I'm teaching it or omit some important piece of information and then kind of comment to say, you know, I'll type this in and then if see if it works. <laughs> if you ever hear me in the course say, let's see if yeah. this works. That, that usually means it's probably not going to work it's <laughs> or it's going to produce yeah. some <laughs> odd result, right? Or if it's something like when I was making the REST API course, uh, when I was developing an example, I created a recursive function mm-hmm. that I created. <laughs> it's okay. You'd run it and you heard the computer go, <laughs> like, oh, okay. That should stop the browser right now. Uh, and it was a recursive function that was surprising that I I didn't realize that it would be recursive when I was when I triggered it. Mm-hmm. Right, so it wasn't like a regular coding error. It was actually something where the REST API returns something to you that would then call create another call, and then it'll you know almost like a nuclear explosion just keep yeah. fracturing and making more instances of itself. <laughs> like. Like a thread creating a bunch more threads in Java. Yes. Like so <laughs> in that case, it that became an opportunity to, rather than walk people through the process of destroying their computer, 
which is what they could right. do, say, you know, here it's very important that you limit what comes back, right? Say like, you know, put an actual limiter to say, give me one instance of this. Even if the system says I have more, just return one and put extra limits in place and then explain why, right? Because it's dangerous if you, as a teacher, you have authority, right? Which means people will take anything you say as absolute doctrine. And not only that, but if they follow you for a long time, they'll start just following exactly what you're doing as you're doing it in a course. And if you set them up to do something dangerous, then they'll do that before they get to the point in the movie where you say, oh, by the way, don't do this. They've already run that code. And then it's like, I don't understand why my computer's on fire. It's like, well, you should have watched for five more seconds than I told you not (laughs) to do it. So I try to avoid that, right? But it's tricky because... When you get into advanced enough stuff, you're basically making people more and more dangerous, right? So you're making them, you're giving people abilities to do more and more complex things that, and then every level of complexity you add will allow anyone to make complex things that don't work properly. And often the consequences are not immediately obvious, right? And figuring out where those thresholds are and then explaining whether or not, you know, you should do this or you shouldn't do this is really hard because usually in complex issues, understanding why you should or should not do something requires more knowledge than what the viewer has at that moment. And then you have to make a decision. Should I take this out of the course entirely and not address it or say we're going to address this in a different course? to kind of elevate it up to a new level or how do you how do you address that which is tricky but i don't know <laughs> it, it, it there's a lot of judgment calling going on and educated guessing and stuff like that so yeah it's tough and like it really depends on your audience too you know i, I like to like in the classroom you can make some general assumptions about the people in your classes right they've likely taken the 101 course or there's like five of them in the class and so you can have like better one-on-one time, but you know, I have a course on Udemy that are, that's 200 students strong right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't know any of them. I know like maybe five of them, right? Like five of my friends who picked up the course because I said pick up the course, but I don't know the backgrounds of all, all the people taking the course. And so it's really hard to kind of gauge, except for like a, a clear course description. This is what you should definitely know. Mm-hmm. And this is what you will learn. And like proceed with caution, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like don't break your computer. That's that's something I'm working on now is providing sort of ramp for learners to start from WordPress and ramp themselves all the way into advanced front-end web development. And honestly, move like use WordPress as the ramp to get them into web development and then move them off WordPress. Which interestingly, with WordPress's REST API, <laughs> WordPress itself provides opt- like optimal right. route out of WordPress, which is great because that's what it should be. And the tricky part has always been, how do you walk people through the process and how do you figure out where they are when they get started, right? Because people will guess at their own skill level, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they'll place themselves in the right place. They'll often either watch courses that are way too basic and then be frustrated because they know everything, or they'll watch something that's too advanced and be frustrated because they don't understand anything. And for that reason, we're currently experimenting with this uh, learning path model. So on both LinkedIn Learning and lynda.com, you can go and see there's a learning path called Become a Junior WordPress Developer which takes you on a path that starts with WordPress Essential Training and walks through a bunch of WordPress courses and a bunch of other related courses, like HTML and CSS and PHP and JavaScript and so on, and tries to slot them in at logical times through the progression. So you watch WordPress Essential Training, then you learn a bit about themes, then you start mucking around with a child theme, then you learn, oh, I need CSS and HTML to do this. Okay, here are some CSS and HTML and then once you figure that out, you introduce that custom post types and it, it, try to build this, you know, cohesive system of courses that really bring people through the process. And honestly, there are people that are watching these courses from start to finish and they reach out to me sometimes and, and having conversations with them about their learning journey is very informative. You know, the first time there was a guy who came to me and he said, 
I've watched every single of your courses, which I personally think you should award some medal for. <laughs> I haven't watched all of my courses. <laughs> but and he said, you know, I, I saw this list and I I think the order in which you put these three courses is backwards. And he gave me an explanation. I'm like, this, this, you know, this, is, this is totally rational. Like, this makes so much sense. It's just I have way too much knowledge here to be able to make right. a list that fits to people who don't have that knowledge yet. So my understanding of how other people understand this stuff is wrong. And I need to listen to them. So we swapped the order of three courses. And then people got more out of it. So this... You know, you were talking about teaching in a classroom. The benefit of teaching in a classroom is you can see eyes glazing over. Yes. <laughs> you can see like, oh, yeah, exactly. I lost them. <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> Clearly, there whatever I just went. said did not register <laughs> at all. And then you can roll back and be like, stop. Okay, where did you get lost here? You know, and you can yeah. actually just step yourself back the process and figure out where's the blocker, explain the blocker, then move on. In an right. online training environment, there is no such feedback. Right. So that means anyone who reaches out over the internet in any way, like through the feedback forms or just hits me up on Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever, and actually tells me things, that material that they provide me becomes quite meaning-bearing to the future of how courses are made. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, what you said is perfect. You know, like we uh, we have the burden of knowledge, right? We We know how everything works, so we definitely see it a different way. And it's important to get feedback from your users and understand uh, or your students and understand how your students are learning. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's uh, integral. So uh, we are, well, we're, we're pretty over time. Actually, this is going to be a two part episode, I think. (laughs) So I want to, I want to end with the two questions I love asking. And the first is what are your plans for the future? So like, uh, and I'd love to break this down into how do you decide what to teach next Mm -hmm. and what can we look for? upcoming on Linda and LinkedIn Learning? Mm -hmm. How do I decide what to teach next? So we have this special room at the LinkedIn Learning headquarters, which has a teleporting device that portals us into the future. And then we look (laughs) at what people are doing, and then we return to this present time, and then we make the courses that people will need in the future. (laughs) That's what we're working on until then. Until then, we have a team. So I work on the web or the under the tech team, there's a web team. It's uh, uh, Ray Vigilobos is the other staff author on that team. Okay, yeah. And we spend a lot of time very carefully thinking about what the future looks like. Uh, there's a lot of research. Uh, we look at, you know, what are people talking about? What um, technologies are they currently using? What is upcoming? What new standards are in place? How far along are these standards? There's a lot of these very meta conversations about, you know, a couple of years ago, we had this meeting where we were discussing different JavaScript frameworks. And at the time, I think the competitors were like Meteor and Iconic oh, yeah. and Backbone and yeah. Angular and something else. And there was this conversation about like, okay, which ones of these will win? Because only one of these will win and the other ones will just die. So if you're watching, listening to this and you go, Meteor? Iconic? What's this? Yeah, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> this is, right. That's why right. that conversation matters. And then yeah. we have to make a decision, right? Like, okay, we're going to invest in one of these things or two of these things. Which ones? And it's tricky because you don't know, right? If you went back 10 years and said that jQuery was going to be huge, people would be like, I, I don't know. You know, there are some other things that are pretty cool too. It's like, what is it right. like, cow script or whatever? Like, there are other yeah. moo, moo tools. Cow, yeah, moo cow tools script. Yeah. <laughs> That's cow how much I don't remember the name. One that we are going to make up now. There we go. It's cow like moo tools, God, cow yes. script is the same, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, yes, yeah, so we have those conversations that are really tricky. And sometimes you make mistakes, but we've been. I guess our educated guesses have been educated enough that we haven't made those mistakes yet. And then in other cases, it's just a matter of really carefully looking at things that are upcoming. So, for instance, I made a course about CSS Grid last year that we released in April 2016, which was well ahead of what, you know, CSS Grid was like barely working in Firefox. So the course is like, okay, so you need to install Firefox nightly and half of this stuff will not work at all, but we're going to pretend that it doesn't. If it had worked, this is how it would work, right? Um, (laughs) And none of this will probably be correct. And then I said in the course at the end, 
I'm pretty certain that a year from now, CSS Grid will be live in production uh, browsers and ready to use. And people came back and said, like, you're crazy. You know, this is like Flexbox. It was like five years. And then in April 2017, CSS right. Grid was live in every browser except for Edge. And Edge had a plan to release it, right? So, yeah. and that's not because I'm a genius. <laughs> it's because right. I can... I pay enough attention so I can see where things are going and what people are doing. And I spend an enormous amount of time just looking at conversations in all these different realms to figure out, you know, so if they're saying that, then what does that mean? And you can see it. I mean, if you follow me on Twitter and cut out all the noise because I talk about dance TV shows all the time, <laughs> get all ranty about some crazy thing, right? But if you pay close attention, you'll see me occasionally ask someone something. Like yesterday, I was asking Jen Simmons when she thinks that... Uh, the grid tools in Firefox will be released in Firefox core. And then she says, man, you know, it's in nightly fine. Right. And then I push back and I go, no, no, no. I actually need to know when that's the kind of conversations. Like if you follow yeah. me on Twitter, that's what you should be looking for is when I have these interactions. Cause that's how I find out. Right. I just persistently ask people. And if someone doesn't answer, then I ask someone else and try to, mm-hmm. cause the information is available is not necessarily publicly available in a, and not because it shouldn't be, but more because people don't know or it's not quite ready yet. But getting some inkling of what is coming down the pike is important. So that's kind of how we do it, right? And then at the same time, we have to make decisions about, like, if I make a course, I realize, oh, people don't know the stuff before that course. So then we need to fill that in, right? So, which brings me to the other part of the, part of the question, what's next? Yeah. The next two courses I'm working on right now is a course on HTTP. And of course, on REST, not as, you know, here's how to use a REST API, but what is REST? How does this work? Right. And what is HTTP and how does that work? And those two courses come out of a need for when people use REST APIs, they need to understand what are these transactions that are happening and how, do the, how does that actually function? And in what cases do you have a REST API and what is a RESTful uh, community? Like all this stuff needs to be understood on a more basic level. Right. If you want to get more in more advanced, right? So it's one of those things where it's easy to use a REST API, but if you want to do something advanced with it, you need to understand how it works. So right. you start by learning how to use the API, then you learn how REST works, then you learn how HTTP works. So it's almost backwards, right? Yeah. So now I'm making the courses that are just looking at how REST works in itself and then how HTTP works in itself. And there'll be two little weird courses that are very different from these regular standard courses. And then pushing into 2018, there's this Gutenberg thing that's happening with WordPress. Possibly, as some people are talking about, like they're turning WordPress into some sort of letter-pressing machine. And then at that point... it's just whatever. (laughs) You know, it's a typewriter. Yeah. And then at that point, (laughs) uh, I will make new courses. So uh, my plan for Gutenberg is to make a course that looks at how to do things like build themes around blocks if blocks become a thing in WordPress. And then another course that looks at how to build blocks, right? So you have the front end and the back end. And there'll be at least two courses that cover this stuff in detail. Supporting Gutenberg and then extending Gutenberg. Yeah, and then probably also something about Gutenberg and the REST API. Nice. Down the, like further into the future. So yeah. That, that's about as much as I can say, because that's right now that's what it looks like. But a lot of this stuff right. is very murky and, you know, things yeah. will happen and things come Ominous. out. There yeah. will be an update to WordPress Essential Training when WordPress, when Gutenberg becomes part of WordPress Core, if it does. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have, I update courses, I make new courses, I reimagine existing courses. It all depends on what's going on at the moment. Man, that's that's awesome. And the last question I like to ask is, uh, do you have any trade secrets for us? <laughs> what are trade secrets? The whole point of this is it's all open, right? <laughs> 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 like, that's what I love so much about the internet. It's like everything yeah. is open and there are no secrets. <sighs> I guess. Okay. I have something for you. So I think a lot of this conflict and animosity that's happening online around pretty much everything these days uh, comes from a place of not accepting that everyone is usually doing things because they think it's the right thing to do. 
And this is something I learned I way back in a past life. I worked in politics. And one of the things that I learned the hard way is even if you like when you disagree with someone on some sort of hot topic, like how big plastic bags should be or something like that, yeah. everyone will have this very, very strong opinion about this topic. Um, and it's very easy at a certain point in a conversation to get to the point where you're like, you're just wrong or you have some sort of agenda here or, you know, you're misinformed or whatever. And I'm looking after the people but you're getting in the way of that, right? And you can see this happen again and again in a lot of conversations that people will say, you have to remember that there's people behind the screen or that, you know, we're really focusing on getting, getting to what the actual user needs. And what I learned was everyone is trying to do that. There are, very, there are a few people who are not, who are just, you know, either just causing problems or who have some right. sort of legitimate agenda that they're trying to further. So if you ignore those people for a second and just think about the majority of people who contribute to open source or just contribute to any conversation in general, everyone is coming at it from the, the viewpoint of, I think I know what's best here and I want to ensure that that's what happens because I believe that is the right thing that should happen. And Anytime you approach them as if they are wrong or that, you know, their their standpoint has no value in and of itself, you've ended the conversation before you have any chance of getting anywhere. Because in many cases, understanding the viewpoint of the other person, even if it's a viewpoint you disagree with, allows you to have a better understanding of your own viewpoint as well. And it may turn out that the best solution is somewhere between those two things, but that can only you can only discover that if you accept what other people are saying. Now, there are limits to it. There are certain viewpoints that are unacceptable, because, but that's usually because they're actually uninformed, right? Or because they actually right. come from a place of a certain conviction that you may not agree with for other reasons that are external. But in most cases, like, for instance, whether or not WordPress should have block editing, every single person involved in that conversation wants what's best for WordPress. And every right. single person wants what's best for the end user of WordPress because that's all that matters. And even so, everyone feels like the people that are on the other side of the debate are wrong and are doing things that are bad for everyone, right? And accepting that both sides of that debate actually have the best interests of the user in mind is the only real path forward. So basically, the, <laughs> the trade secret is Listen to other people and accept their statements as their understood truth of the world and try to understand their viewpoint and inform your own viewpoint based on that rather than just automatically saying, you're wrong, I'm doing it my way, the end, close ticket. There's <laughs> <laughs> no meta conversation <laughs> happening here at all. Uh, not at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love that for a million reasons, but also it it creates empathy and understanding right mm -hmm. it's uh i mean y you and i have disagreed on certain things but we have a respect for each other because we understand that at least about each other uh hopefully um, so <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so yeah so you're you're absolutely right uh, you know there should be i mean i i'm not going to say what you said as well as you said it so i will just leave it at that absolutely great point uh, listen to each other, people. Morton, thank you so much for joining me today. I had uh, an absolute blast talking to you uh, for just about double the normal length of this. So we'll probably cut it into two episodes or we'll make it like a super long season finale. Uh, either way, the whole conversation was great and I really appreciate your time. I appreciate being allowed to come here and just talk. <laughs> <laughs> You're one of the few people who when you talk, I will listen because I, I know you understand when you have an opinion, it is definitely not just like shooting from the hip like me a lot of the time. Uh, I think so. you're selling yourself short. <laughs> maybe. But maybe. I, I appreciate the compliment. I'll send it back to you. Awesome. I really hope you enjoyed that. Uh, Morton was very generous with his time. And uh, honestly, I could talk to him for a lot longer than we did. Uh, so I really hope you enjoyed everything that we talked about. An amazing conversation. Uh, thank you so much to everybody who has made season three so great. Uh, that especially perhaps includes uh, the season long sponsor, Liquid Web. This season wouldn't have been able to happen without them. So definitely check the amazing things that they're doing. 
uh, over at buildpodcast.net slash liquid. And of course, thanks to uh, our new and final sponsor for season three, Lifter LMS. If you want to create a great online learning or membership website, Lifter LMS is the way to go. Head over to buildpodcast.net slash lifter. And that's it. That is a wrap on season three. Uh, I'm going to take the month of December off and we'll be back in January. Now, little caveat there. If you head over to Patreon, I have a couple of nice things planned for uh, the Patreon subscribers. Uh, if you want to join and kind of hear the kind of one-off stuff that I'm doing related to the podcast. Uh, also, if you do listen to this before WordCamp US, I will be at WordCamp US. Uh, so come say hi. I'll be giving away Build Something stickers. Uh, and uh, you know the, the rest of the drill. Rate us over at Apple Podcasts. Head over to the Facebook group uh, and do whatever uh, it is that makes you happy. So until next season, get out there and build something.